Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Take the Two. Now, it's probably a bit of an interesting round of football in terms of some results. Obviously, you know, big score lines, maybe some big score lines we probably didn't expect in many ways, but certainly shapes up as an interesting final few rounds, doesn't it, Tom? Yeah, absolutely. We've got top eight starting to take shape, but uh, there's a lot of movement still to come, I reckon, in terms of the makeup of the top four and as well that race for the, uh, well, the the race for teams to avoid the wooden spoon. Well, look, we'll just get straight into it, obviously. I guess the game on Thursday is probably presumably going to be one-way traffic. We have, you know, the Broncos who were absolutely decimated by by the by the Roosters and coming up against the Panthers who are in first, they obviously had a, a last-round win against the Tigers. You still feel, I mean, I guess I still feel, Tom, that at times, you know, Penrith sort of, they might get up to a lead and then, for some reason, I think we mentioned it last week too, their foot just comes off the accelerator. They go in cruise control and sort of just, I guess, just almost pander about just expecting things to happen. And obviously, you know, I mean, I guess when you come up against teams that are probably easier, for lack of a better term, to beat just based on their circumstances, it works. But is that a concern for them moving forward in the finals around the corner, do you think? Do they need to just literally put these teams to the sword, much like we saw say, the Roosters do against the Broncos last week? Yeah, I mean, it'd be a good sign for them to be able to uh, put away a team like the Broncos, but I don't think it's uh, it's necessary. I uh, saw on Twitter this morning uh, someone had put up the records of all the premiership-winning teams over the last four rounds, and it's actually significantly below their season average in terms of winning percentage. So we do see from time to time uh, really great teams who go on to win the premiership sort of take their foot off the pedal a little bit in the last four weeks, but... Yeah, I think I know I saw Ivan Cleary mention that he's uh, not keen to rest guys at the moment in games and instead rest them through load management in terms of training because he was really keen to build up that sort of momentum uh, into the final series. But yeah, I think this one, you know, as with every Broncos game, you've got you know a pretty solid forward pack with guys like Payne Haas and David Fafita, but you know it's just going to come down to their defence. If they can turn up, you know, they might be able to grind it into a tight game, but from what we've seen this year, uh, I think you're, you're spot on there. We can't really see much uh, but a blowout in this one. Yeah, look, I mean, it, it's the Broncos, I mean, it's between the Broncos and the Dogs, you'd imagine, for that spoon. And I mean, you know, who would have thought, I mean, even in in any Broncos side and since, you know, since they came into the competition that, you know, the players that they have, the nursery that they have, I mean, it would have been, if you had told anybody at the start of any season, yep, the Broncos are going to win the spoon or finish second last you know, you would have been laughed out of wherever you were because this literally, we're just so used to seeing Broncos sides manhandle teams essentially or win premierships or produce, you know, these absolute star players, whether it, you know, be at fullback, forward, you know, prop, back row, you name it, they've done it. And here this Broncos team is just struggling in every single sense. Yeah, and it all starts with their defence, really. It's just unacceptable the amount of points they've conceded, you know, to concede almost 120, 120 points in two games to the Roosters is, you know, that's that's pretty disgraceful for any team, you know, no matter how you're going. You look at someone like the Bulldogs, you know, they're not having the greatest year, but at least they're putting up a fight with their defence. And, you know, they've been putting a few teams like the Raiders and the Tigers really pushing them to the end of the game and, you know, make, making a game out of it. So it's going to be an interesting to see how the uh, Broncos finish, finish out the season. Obviously, Peter Gentle is going to stay coach for the rest of the year. They probably won't appoint someone until the end of the season. So it'd be uh, interesting to see whether they just try out some different combinations. We'll see that this week with O'Sullivan and Dearden in the halves, or perhaps we see a guy like Corey Pakes play a little bit more, just a little bit of a glimpse towards the future in a similar vein to what uh, Michael Maguire alluded to 
out of the Tigers. Yeah, look, certainly we expect a lot of one-way traffic, but you know we'll find out on Thursday night and see how that goes. As you said, see whether the Broncos can man up in defence and at least get some pride out of the last you know three four rounds. Seeing as you know we know that there's nothing they can do to even come close to making the finals. But interesting game to start us off, and it probably kick probably leads into. I guess the game that is has big implications for the top eight, obviously Friday night, we see the Knights and the Sharks. And look, I mean, we know the Sharks are going to be without Sean Johnson for a second week running with that, that groin complaint. But look, I mean, you know, Braden Trindle and, and other guys certainly stepped up and performed their role well against the Cowboys to get the win. Obviously, you know, the Cowboys and the Knights are two very different teams talent-wise. But the Knights, Tom, I mean, that was, that was pretty bad against the Warriors. I mean, they were just played completely outplayed across the park for pretty much the entire 80 minutes. Yeah, we saw uh, the Warriors really get up for that Tamworth crowd, as we, we've mentioned over the last few weeks, and the Knights just had no answer for, for much of that game. Um, guys like RTS and Justin Vaughan really, really, really tore them up, and we saw guys like Clemmer go to the bin, and it was just an absolute disaster for the Newcastle side. And I think you're right, it's going to be a really interesting matchup. No Sean Johnson on one side, and then we've got Mason Lino playing on the other. Yeah, he hasn't had a lot of, I guess, game time this year. I think it's only second or third game for the season. And we've got two sides that match up pretty nicely with, you know, experienced and, you know, representative caliber forward packs. And then really exciting back lines, matchups like Sione Katoa against Stafford Toa, Humble Hunt against Ronaldo Mortalo. And then, you know, we don't need to say anything about Kalen Ponga, but Will Kennedy's really stepped up his game this year. And especially in the absence of Sean Johnson, he, he, the role he plays is going to be super important this week. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, I mean, I get, uh, any, every team sort of wants those role players that can just, you know, step in and stand up when they have to. And, you know, Will Kennedy's certainly done that. I think, you know, obviously probably a big reason why the Sharks made the call to keep him on for at least 2021. And it's a, just a testament to him and even Braden Trindle as well. You know, these, these these guys that can just come in and just do the job when, when your big guns are out. Obviously, I guess, you know, a bigger talking point is the whole scenario with, you know, Matt Moylan and, we know he's obviously he's had his issues with hamstring injuries, but it just seems like in this one it's just dropped, not selected. Tom, does that does would Matt Moylan fit into the the Sharks' top seventeen, or or is it uh, a case of the guys that are there are, I guess, playing well enough that despite what he can produce, Moylan just doesn't get picked? Yeah, at the start of the year, I remember thinking that you know Moylan was definitely in the top seventeen and probably in that fullback position, but I think he's really been displaced by Kennedy and. You know, we've got a guy like Braden Trindle come in and, you know, he's really stepped up. I, I've been really impressed. And as a guy like Chad Townsend sort of maybe starts to wind down his career, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Braden Trindle play a greater role at the Sharks or alternatively go elsewhere. I think that there'd be a lot of clubs that could really use a, a half of his calibre. And then, you know, even if you speak about that bench position, I think that Connor Tracy, what he's provided this year, he's provided good spark. He's, he's solid in defence. Uh, we saw him play well in the starting role, especially in that game against the Broncos where he scored the winning try. And, I just don't see Matt Moylan having that X factor anymore that he once did. And unfortunately for uh, for Moylan, he's going to have to find something if he wants to get back into that squad or otherwise uh, he might be uh, playing out the rest of his career on the bench. Yeah, certainly looks that way. So it's, uh, in, I mean, I guess it's a good conundrum to have if you're John Morris as a Sharks coach. But, you know, I guess it's, it's yeah, probably just given the way Moylan's hamstrings have gone, even maybe that bench utility also maybe suits him more just obviously... You know, I guess less running, less movement, probably just trying to, you know, lessen that that impact that obviously every every step at speed can have on the body. But it'd be interesting to see how they go over the next 18 months. And as you said, whether, you know, we see Chad Townsend, I guess, 
be first dropped rather than first selected in the 17, much like Moylan, but some tough decisions to make and whether Morris is the guy that makes those in 2021 as well, we'll see, but at least, you know, they've got Braden Trindle who's building nicely, so it's it's a good sign all around for the Sharks in that sense. Well, our second game on Friday night, obviously, it's, you know, always a bit of spice in this one. We have the Bunnies up against the Storm. It's probably a lot more riding on this game for the Bunnies. Obviously, they are in sixth spot. They've got the Knights and the Sharks breathing down their neck, essentially. I mean, they're coming off a pretty comprehensive win last week. You know, their attack sort of seems to be clicking at the right time, Tom. How big of a loss for this side is Latrell Mitchell in terms of their attack? Yeah, I think it's really yet to be seen. I I really rate Alex Johnson as a fullback, and I think that he can bring a lot of what uh, Latrell provides to that squad. But, you know, Latrell just has that extra little bit of X factor, the power running that perhaps Johnson has, even though um, AJ probably has that little bit of extra speed. So I think, yeah, it'll be interesting to find out. We saw last week when Latrell went off that Rabbitohs were able to really push on against the Eels and, you know, whether that was more an indication of how Parramatta were playing that night or whether that's a sign that, you know, Cody Walker and Adam Reynolds can steer the the show without uh, Latrell. I guess we'll find out this week and, you know, tests don't get much tougher than up against the Melbourne Storm defence that, you know, starting to really find their feet again after a couple of off weeks and they've got Munster and Smith back, Uh, Pappenhausen's playing well. Uh, Lume Lume played really well on debut, I thought. We've seen it before in the Melbourne system, but having those older guys come through and debut, you know, not the 18, 19, 20-year-olds that we're seeing at most clubs, would be extra, uh, you know, life experience as well as experience in the lower grades, and that's really serving play as well. And uh, It's going to be a really interesting one this with uh, this week. Uh, two four packs that match up nicely, uh, really quality across the park for both sides, and this will uh, play a big role in shaping up that top four. Yeah, definitely. Look, I mean, and I guess, you know, we know the Storm pretty much steamrolled Manly, which was, I guess, a result we we're all expecting. And, you know, just we know how they play. We know the style. We know what Bellamy expects of his players, and they certainly delivered. It is the sort of game that you can see being tight. Obviously, the Bunnies will hope that their defence can hold firm against what seems to be much like the Bunnies, a Storm attack clicking once again, especially with all their all their troops back on deck. But probably, probably the one guy that I want to give a mention to is you know, in light of having guys like Pappenhausen, Smith, Munster, Hughes, even to a lesser extent, you know, Josh Adokar as well, is uh, Justin Olam. Obviously, he got a hat-trick on the weekend. I think when you look at his career and when he started, there was a lot of people sort of, I guess, questioning whether he was cut out for NRL level, sort of just making those, you know, I guess those those small mistakes that you do when you're starting out. And obviously, he was impressive for Papua New Guinea when he was playing at the World Cup and other international tournaments. But he's certainly coming to his own, Tom, this year as a player in terms of just, I guess, that brute strength that he, that we know he has and just running hard and fast. And he came out this weekend and said in terms of his defence, he tries to emulate it around uh, what Steve Matai was able to do for Manly. And we all know the hits that, that Matai was able to put on. But it's much like Bellamy always does. He finds these guys, works with them, sticks true to them. And here we are in you know the back end of the 2020 season. The storm of firing and a guy like Olam is, is just playing out of his skin. Yeah, absolutely. We saw uh, Branko Lee head down there and Paul Momorowski head down in that Harry Grant swap deal and we thought, oh, well, maybe, you know, Olam might find himself out of the squad, but he stayed in and he really thrived this season. And as you said, it's been his defence that's been most impressive. You know, the attack, he's always been a, a great power runner and he, he's a benefactor of playing off the back of guys like Munster and Adokar. And we saw that on the weekend with um, Adokar uh, giving him a couple of easy tries there, but uh, his his defence has improved out of sight, and that's just a, another credit to this outstanding Melbourne Storm uh, organisation, and that's what they're known for. And 
I think when we look at the Broncos and, you know, to an extent this week, a team like the Tigers who are really doing a lot of soul searching for who their, I guess, identity is as a club. You know, you've only got to look as far as Melbourne and a guy goes down there, you know, Justin Mullen, strong ball runner, you know, great attacking player, backs a little bit in defence and he just works his ass off and in the end he's turned into a player that we wouldn't be surprised to see more of at representative level. Oh, I mean, definitely not. I mean, I'd expect him to be first picked for Papua New Guinea next year when it comes to the World Cup, but I mean, obviously that's a long way away still. But, you know, he continues that sort of form and coupled with everything else that the Storm can produce. I mean, yet again, they'll prove themselves to be a tough team to beat come finals time. Well, moving on to Saturday. Now, our first game is, you know, I guess maybe one for the neutrals, I guess, you know, they'll be like, oh, it's two low teams I'm not going to watch. But should be an interesting game nevertheless, Tom. Obviously, we've got the Bulldogs who are currently in the wooden spoon position and the Gold Coast Titans. This is, I guess, it, it at the moment, it's two teams tracking in different directions, Tom. The Bulldogs are this side that their defence is staunch. The They work hard as a unit for each other. But when it comes to getting a win, it just somehow seems to elude them. It's something like the last three or four weeks, they've been in game-winning positions that you would expect a team to be able to hold on to, and they haven't. And they've just... They've dropped the ball. They've let a team back into the game. And obviously, I guess that's why they are where they are. But then a team like the Titans, they seem to be picking up some momentum. And, you know, we talk a lot about, or we have talked a lot about Justin Holbrook and what he's done to the side. And they're playing some good footy, the Titans, at the moment, Tom, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I actually think both teams are, you know, as much as the Bulldogs can't hold on to those winning leads, you know, they're getting themselves into a position where, they are having that opportunity to win the game. And I don't think by any stretch of the imagination, either side is playing like the worst team in the comp at the moment. I think we all know at the moment that's probably Brisbane. But, you know, if you compare someone like Brisbane to, you know, the Bulldogs, you know, Brisbane last week up against a premiership powerhouse of Roosters, found themselves out of the game very quickly, end up losing by 40 plus. And then we've got the Bulldogs who sit below them on the ladder, but got themselves into a, you know, a 20 to 12 lead against, again, a really premiership powerhouse in Canberra. And, you know, as, as I said, Canberra just had too much class at the end. Jack White put on a bit of a master class at the end to sort of snatch victory late. But I think that the Bulldogs and the Titans, this will be a really interesting one because neither side's playing particularly poorly. And I think that uh, could get a really attacking clash here with guys like Hoppawade and Brimson. Great matchup there at the fullbacks. Uh, Kieran Foran's really getting back to his best form when he can stay on the pitch. And he's up against a guy like Jamal Fogarty, who's he's just been electric the last few weeks. And, you know, obviously scored that. Uh, match-winning try to run away from the defence uh, last week against uh, St George, and um, that was much to the humour of uh, Justin Holbrook in the press conference, who was having a laugh about how uh, Papali ran him down the week before. But I think this will be a, a really interesting match, and I think that uh, yeah, definitely, while it's not one that uh, sort of streaks the interest on paper, could be a, a great game on the field. That certainly will be. I mean, I think it's. I see a lot of. I guess those Bellamy tendencies in Holbrook as well as, you know, the sort of, you know, you pick a young guy and a lot of coaches might be like, oh, you know, a couple bad games, out he goes, or the fans will get on his back. But obviously the fans are buying into what Holbrook is trying to achieve at the club. And, I mean, you see it with their back row pairing of Sam Stone and Bo, and Bo for more. I mean, they're both obviously, you know, still relatively young, probably haven't, they obviously haven't played huge amounts of first grade, but, you know, they're both doing their job and obviously, That'll, I guess, will change next year with with Fafita coming in. So obviously, you know, who who stays in, who doesn't, remains to be seen. But it's got to be as as a Titans fan, they should be pretty pleased, Tom, that these young guys are building into Holbrook's philosophy and and culture and really trying to get this side to not be cellar dwellers like they have been for 
a good number of years now. Yeah, 100%. And even this week, I think the Titans will be strengthened by uh, Mo Fotueko coming back into the squad. He's been probably been their best forward all season when he's been on the field. And as well, they've got uh, Jai Arrow on the extended bench who might come in. And I thought Jared Wallace probably had his uh, best game of the season last week. You know, he was really solid, um, made plenty of tackles, plenty of runs. And, you know, he was getting back to that form that saw him picked uh, in origin for the last couple of years. But uh, I guess for me, something that's uh, really been impressive, as you said, was the form of both for more. Uh, we've got Fafida and Fasil Malawi coming in next year, but a guy like Fermore could easily find himself uh, playing off the bench in sort of that, you know, um, Kenny Bromwich sort of role that we've seen uh, over the years for Melbourne. And, you know, you need guys like that to, to really make a premiership push and, and make the finals. And, you know, having that extra little bit of depth developed this year so that when the stars come next year, I think that'll really serve Holbrook's side well going forward. Yeah, there's plenty to be excited about as a, as a Titans fan, that's for sure. And look, you'd, you'd expect them to get the win in this one, but we know the Dogs' defence is pretty resolute, so it should be a good clash to, to, just to see, I guess, to see where the Titans are at in terms of being able to crack a defence that plays for each other. So it's a, been an interesting game to watch to kick us off for Saturday. Look, our second game we have on Saturday, obviously, is we have Manly and the West Tigers. Now, you know, we, we touched on Manly briefly. They were steamrolled by the storm. There's no no ifs or buts about it. A lot of it obviously has to do with the whole, you know, Tom Trebojevic not being there. And you could pretty much bank on the fact that it would be a completely different story and at least closer games from a Manly perspective if Tommy Turbo was there. Sort of where from a Manly perspective first up, Tom, sort of what, what do they need to do to try and get back in the winner's circle? Yeah, it's a difficult one with so many guys off the park. But, you know, I think, again, it just comes back down to... <laughs> Funnily enough, as we say every week, just their defence. They just haven't been good enough from week to week. And, you know, last week they sort of found themselves in the hunt at sort of 6 all earlier in that game. And then they let it blow out to 30-6 to six later on. And, you know, that's probably just more an indication of the class that Melbourne had with so many guys on the, on the field. But I think, you know, this is a great opportunity against a, a really struggling attack in the Tigers to put up a stand and, you know, maybe try and grind out a win, a 16-12 to 12 or a 14-10 sort of game. And um, that's going to be the challenge because... Uh, we, we know that the Tigers can score points this year, have scored points a number of times, especially against bottom eight teams. And if, if they can uh, put up a stand like Penrith did last week, then uh, this one's anyone's game. Yeah, look, I mean, obviously, Manly can score points themselves as well. They still have David Cherry Evans, who, I guess, when when he's in for, when he's at the top of his game, he can pretty much control it. But from a, obviously, I want to get your, fa- your your perspective as a Tigers fan, Tom, obviously. Look, it wasn't pretty against Penrith, despite the fact that, you know, we said the Panthers sort of seemed in cruise control. And especially, particularly in the last couple of days, all of these these stories about, I guess, players being disgruntled with, with the approach of Michael Maguire. We know he's a he's a hard taskmaster. He, taskmaster. he expects a lot of his players and expects that, you know, you work as a team, as a unit. He's had a couple of guys like David Norfoluma and, and Josh Aloyai that have come out and said, no, this is the guy that we need. How do you sort of see it, Tom? I mean, is obviously Maguire is a sort of coach that probably a side like the Tigers need, but what do you make of the players, I guess, that are just, you know, coming out and, and sort of trying to, I guess, not dismantle, but undermine the sort of role that Maguire is trying to play as a coach and what he's trying to build? Yeah, I think it's quite difficult to sort of break down the story because I think only the players and Michael Maguire really know what's going on there, obviously. The media wants us to believe that, that there's uh, you know trouble brewing under the surface and that's going to create a lot of great stories. But you know then the players come out and say that it's untrue. Obviously, that's what the players want us to believe and what the club wants us to believe. So you know we're really running from two different perspectives. I guess the story has to have come from somewhere. It's 
it's probably not just been made up out of nowhere. So, you know, I think the truth probably lies somewhere in between. Yes, there's probably some, you know, people who are, you know, questioning Maguire's, I guess, style. And we've seen that this week amongst a lot of Tigers fans online, you know. But I think for the most part, you know, Maguire has the clubs backing, the fans backing. And I would say the majority of the players backing as well. I think, as you said, we've got guys like Nofa Wuma come out and say we've really got to work for it. AA and Wuchiano uh, Wewa both been outstanding this year. And, you know, I think that the form of Luciano Weiwura is a, a true indication of what a coach like Michael Maguire can do. We all know he's such a hard taskmaster, but, you know, Luciano Weiwura has struggled for fitness the last couple of years, really hasn't been game ready, only been able to play sort of 20, 30 minutes off the bench for St. George. He comes to the Tigers, he's virtually played 80 minutes every week for us and probably been one of our best on attack and defence. Hasn't really got the service that he deserves off, uh, off Luke Brooks there, but I think that... Uh, Moving forward, the Tigers have got a couple of good pieces um, that they can keep. And I think with Michael McGuire steering the ship, um, they'll be all right into the future. They'll, they'll, uh, they'll improve uh, much to, you know, much to the dissatisfaction of, uh, of many Tigers fans online who I've been chatting with this week, who, you know, obviously every fan has their opinion on the squad. And it seems like uh, in some circles, we've got about 30,000 selectors uh, ready to go. That's, that's rugby league for you. Every, every fan thinks they're a selector. But no, look, I mean, I guess from the outside looking in, I think, you know, it's the Tigers certainly are a side that need, that need you know, discipline. They need a coach that is going to be harsh but fair. He's not there to be your best friend, but at the same time is also there to listen to what you have to say and, you know, really try and get the best out of you. Like you said, with Leilua, even Norfolk to a lesser extent, obviously, you know, I think he's pretty close to the top the the top in terms of you know the the, the the try scoring list and it just goes to show what a coach can do when he believes in the players and sort of you know when when he wheels them and sort of gets them motivated to perform each week even if you do get steamrolled I mean Norfoluma was despite that loss against Penrith much like he's been for the, this entire season he was he was probably the best player on the park for for the Tigers so you know, it, it's certainly a testament to Maguire and what he wants to achieve. And I think, you know, for, for the fans that just blame Maguire and think he has to go out, I mean, you know, it, it's it, it's always a case of you get rid of Maguire, then it's like five steps backwards and you have to rebuild again. And, you know, I mean, I guess for a side that, you know, hasn't made finals for so long, you, you just it's just not something you can afford to do anymore. You need to stick true and just let him have his team and, if after a couple of years he fails again, yeah, then you you know you make calls then. But you know, changing coaches every eighteen months isn't going to get you in the finals. Yeah, no, definitely not. And I think that a lot of people forget as well that you know this isn't necessarily the re- result of you know poor recruitment decisions over the past year or so. This is you know a problem that's going back almost ten years now uh, to you know the times when we had uh, Jason Taylor there, and then uh, Michael Potter, and then obviously. Um, into the Ivan Cleary era, which ended with, you know, such a mess and with the, with the cap situation in such a mess as well. And I think, I uh, can't remember someone who it was, but uh, someone on Fox Sports during the week said, you know, I think it might be Michael Ennis, you know, best case here for the Tigers is that they really spend 2021 fixing all the dramas and then really have a great run at it for 2022. And, you know, while I agree with that, I think there is space for the Tigers to really make a solid improvement uh, next year. You know, as much as, you know, all the talks come out this week about how bad the Tigers are, you know, only two weeks ago, we were still in the finals hunt. So we're not in uh, Brisbane territory just yet. But uh, as you said, a guy like Nofaluma, he's already beaten his uh, highest career, uh, highest season tally of tries and, you know, in a shortened season as well. And I, I honestly don't think they played that bad against Penrith, as, you know, weird as it might sound. But, you know, they were down 6-3 in the penalty count, had 6-1 against them in terms of uh, ruck infringement, six again calls. 
Uh, they lost Adam Dewey to the sin bin and what really was a turning point. You know, with a couple of minutes left in the half, it was six all in the first half, and then obviously things just sort of capitulated in the second. But you know, if they can get their defence back, and then you know, we all know what the Tigers can do in attack with guys like Brooks and Marshall steering the ship. Um, yeah, but they could make some noise uh, come the end of the year. And they're a team that, I guess, similar to what the Bulldogs did last year, could really uh, have an impact on how the top eight and the top four is made up with uh, games against uh, guys like uh, Melbourne and Parramatta in the last two weeks. Yeah, you know, certainly I, w- I wouldn't expect anything less of of the Tigers unit, again, you know, based on the way they play against the Maguire. But it'd be, it'd be an interesting clash. And obviously it's a game we'd expect them to win, but man, they need a win as well just to get some confidence, I guess. But time will tell what, what happens at Lotto Land on Saturday night. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it should be a, a good game. And as much as I, I think that Manly could try and grind into a, a tight contest, I think we'll get some free-flowing attack and I wouldn't be surprised to see both both sides put up 20 points. Oh, for sure. I mean, they can certainly both attack. Well, our final game on Saturday, we have the grand final rematch. It's the Raiders and the Roosters. Now, look, we touched on the Roosters that, I guess, literally obliterated the Broncos in every sense. I mean, James Tedesco was back to form. And, you know, I guess if you captained him in Supercoach, you were cheering. Um, and even even just from a playing perspective, you know, and sort of the Roosters are aside this year. I, I think more so than than the last couple of years is a lot of their role players are starting to step up as well, Tom. You know, we have Takayaho, who, who obviously, you know, had a bit, you know, couple of injury concerns recently, but over the course of the season has, you know, really stepped it up. We've had Satili Tupo Niua, who, you know, grabbed a double, who is really found a found his home playing in in a back row position and sort of working off. You know Flanagan and and even Tedesco to a lesser extent at first and second receiver. The Roosters are starting to find their form at the right time, Tom. I mean, we know what the Raiders can do, and I guess they they're starting to find their own form as well. But I get the feeling that this one, despite being the grand final rematch, I almost think that just the way the Roosters managed to overpower the Broncos with you know effortlessly, essentially, I think the Raiders have to be very careful here, given their own. Defensive, defensive, defensive inefficiencies that we've seen over the course of the season. Yeah, absolutely. You said the Roosters are back, and you know, I honestly would not be surprised if they didn't lose another game this season if they can stay fit. I said that side is just unbelievable. I know you'll be watching uh, Sonny Bill Williams' camera all, all night on Fox Sports <laughs> as they've as they've counted, and as everyone will. Yep, you know, get to see him sit there on the bench for sixty minutes and then come on. And, and uh, I'd say he'll probably play a little bit through the middle. I, I don't think we'll see him on the edge especially considering uh, Luke Keery is coming back from injury and uh, Kyle Flanagan's, you know, been in and out of the squad the last couple of weeks. So I think we'll see Cordner and Tupanua stay on those edges. But I think, you know, I, I know I saw uh, on Twitter uh, on the, the Fen podcast with um, Gary Jack and uh, our mate Adam Hawes, Gary was saying that he wouldn't be surprised if Sonny Bill comes in and has a similar impact to what we saw with Ellery Hanley back in 1988 with the Balmain Tigers and how he came back from England and really just sparked the side, not even with what he was doing on the field, but just that, that I guess, the presence and the aura a guy like Sonny Bill brings into that squad. And, you know, something imposing to come up against, you know, I think in a similar vein we saw it last week with the Roosters when we had Boyd Cordner on the bench and Peter Gentle su- summarised it really nicely in the post game when he was asked about the class difference between the two sides. And he said, well, after 30 minutes, I brought on Ethan Bullimore and, the, and Trent Robinson brought on uh, New South Wales and Australian captain Boyd Cordner and, that's the depth this Rooster squad has. And Tedesco really back to his best last week. And that's a scary proposition when you consider that he plays his best with Luke Keery in the squad and he wasn't there last week. So usually I would say this could go into a tight game, but I think without Josh Hodgson for the Raiders 
and considering uh, how many points the Raiders conceded against the Bulldogs last week, I wouldn't be surprised if the Roosters win this and win it uh, fairly comfortably as well. Yeah, they're building at the right time. Look, I mean, this is taking nothing away from Canberra, obviously. You know, they, they've certainly had some good wins of late and I guess con- considering that the way they started upon the resumption of the season, that it's almost like two completely different sides. Cam- Canberra fans have to be impressed, Tom, with I guess the way Jack Whiten is continuing to develop to develop his game. He obviously scored a double pretty much just through his running game, which we know is his greatest asset in terms of what he can produce. And, you know, it's sort of he's often been criticised. He's 5-8 to the role for him. Does he belong in the centres? Even our fullback, you know, sort of just opinions go back and forth. But the last 18 months, he's really taken his game to another level. And equally, you have to be pretty pleased as a Raiders fan to see a guy like Tom Starling being able to come in and, you know, really show just how good he can be. Obviously, he was second drop this season in terms of we had Hodgson, Harvili, and then Starling was the, the progression at the start. But he's he's probably done his chances no harm to be that first drop next year should Canberra re-sign him, Tom. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we saw him last week have a little bit of an up-and-down game with you know, the Simbin, and then he came back to, uh, to score the winning try. But... I guess it'll be interesting to see how they, they develop that moving forward. Obviously, Josh Hodgson isn't getting any younger, and Tom Starling is looking like a really promising talent into the future. So uh, we might see him get some more minutes next year. And, you know, uh, I guess a lot of that will depend on how he, how he ends the season out here. And I think for the Raiders, a lot this week comes down to the, the two main men, Jack White and Josh Papali. We saw a couple of weeks ago uh, when these two teams faced off in round 10 back in July when uh, the Raiders, you know, were certainly not uh, fancy to to have a win, but they they fought hard and you know ended up winning by four points against uh, what was almost a full strength Roosters squad at the time, and it was really uh, a charge led by Josh Papali who scored that try, and also um, Jack Whiten, who obviously you know he was playing up against the Roosters had a had a cracker in the grand final last year and won the Clive Churchill, so it'd be super interesting to see how this one plays out. I, I I'm still tipping the the Roosters win, but when you're watching Canberra, anything can happen. They're that sort of squad that you know. You never want to back against because you just know as soon as you do, that's uh, that's where they thrive with their backs against the wall. And, you know, I, I don't think Ricky Stewart will mind taking that underdog tag into this game. No, not at all. We have ourselves a very good way, a very exciting way to finish up the Super Saturday games. Now, look, I guess first game on Sunday is the Warriors and the Eels. And, you know, we touch on the Warriors, obviously, how good the, how good they were against the Knights. Obviously, there's no George Jennings or Daniel Alvaro, given the... Given the way that the lone replacement system works, obviously players don't don't play against a team that has that, against a team that has loaned them the players. But look, I mean, from a Neil's perspective, I mean that was I think that was that was very reminiscent of our you know 2018, 2016, 2014 seasons, you name it. I mean, just that sort of game where you, you, we just weren't in it. I mean, obviously we had our chances and there were there were opportunities to score. But it's probably telling that a guy like Dylan Brown, who was playing on one leg, he basically was our best player on the field. I mean, he chased down, can't recall if it was Luttrell or whoever it was, and stopped them 10 metres out, almost scored almost scored himself, obviously was disallowed because of an, an obstruction. obstruction. Um, but, yeah, look, I mean, that performance from the Eels was an absolute shambles. And as a fan, I can only hope that, it's the sort of game that even the players look at and be like, wow, that was bad. You know, normally you'd expect that to come from a coach, but if the players can't take responsibility for such a poor effort across the park, then 
sadly, as much as it pains me to say it, they're not going to go far in this top four, Tom. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it was a bit of a wake-up call last week for your squad, and I think that um, it'll be interesting to see how it works moving forward, especially without Dylan Brown. I think that I would say that he is a bigger loss than when you lost Mitchell Moses a couple of weeks ago. I think that what Brown provides in defence is actually almost more valuable, and you know it's it's largely hidden, but you know I think it's more valuable than what he provides on attack. We know what Jay Field can do. He's you know he's quick. Probably doesn't have the ball playing ability of a guy like Brown, but you know he has the ability to spark spark some things in the attack. He'll link up nicely with a guy like Sean Lane on that left hand side, but. There's massive questions over whether he can do defensively. He's largely untested there, you know, smaller guy. I wouldn't be surprised if we see the Warriors really throw uh, a lot of ball towards him and, you know, a, a lot of runners towards him and really test him out with guys like Murchie, Harrison, Tavanga uh, forming that, that back row. And I think this, you know, as funny as it sounds, you know, the Warriors sort of loitering around that, you know, top of the bottom eight and your guys really up, up the top. But I think this is a, a massive danger game for Parramatta. I think what, what the Warriors showed last week against Newcastle was, you know, phenomenal. It was like a new squad out there. And obviously the losses of uh, Jennings and Alvaro will hurt them. But, you know, that, that core of two of us, Shek, Nick Arima, Harris Tavita and Carl Wharton has really started to combine nicely ever since sort of uh, uh, Stephen Kearney left. And, you know, what Todd Payton is doing with that squad, squad there is uh, phenomenal. And, you know, to get the guys up for that, um, you know, they're probably not, uh, really in top eight contention anymore with Cronulla's win last week, but what they're uh, putting up is, is great signs for Warriors fans moving forward and especially into next season. Oh, 100%. I mean, I'm on, you know, I'm certainly under no illusions that, oh, yeah, it's going to be an easy game. We're going to steamroll them. I'm, I mean, it's it's going to be far from that, especially based on what the Eels produced last week. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough because you have, obviously, Everything does. Everything. So or the majority of the attacking play this year has gone through the left, and you know we've seen Eels fans have been pretty vocal this week. You know, I think we've we've seen a bit of a regression in in I guess in Sean Lane's approach. Just in you know we saw earlier this season and even the back end of last year, you know just the way he was able to combine with Dylan Brown, everything was perfect in terms of the run, the pass, the execution. Just seemed a bit off the last month in terms of what they can do. You know, Mike Acevo on the left wing is is scoring tries. Like, obviously, that, there's no issue there. But, you know, he's you look at a guy like Mike Acevo and then you compare it to, I guess, other wingers that are at his level in Norfoluma or even a guy like Justin Ollum playing in the centres for the Storm. These guys get the ball and they just go full pelt. They just run like a steam train. And you watch Mike Acevo sometimes. And as Eels fans, we're thinking, just run, man. Just just sprint. That's just literally do a semi and just absolutely annihilate yourself into the opposition you know it, it it's so i think i guess we look at it and, and sort of sivo is almost a player that sort of you know relies on the fend and 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 i guess tries to do too much instead of just running and i don't know i mean i guess maybe it's not at that point where he can be like right i can just run and not fend and it's not all about making a break and and whatnot and that's not even mentioning wanga blake and the game that he had last week i mean you know, it's certainly there's nothing wrong with rushing up as a defender when you're playing in the centres, but if you don't make the tackle, then all hell breaks loose, like we saw some four or five times last week. So it's a big test for the Eels. I think any any fan that thinks they're going to steamroll this Warriors side, they're dreaming. That's that's the best way to put it. Yeah, and I think this matchup's going to be really one in the Ford pack. Obviously, the Eels have a lot more class and a lot more experience in that Ford pack with guys like Junior Paulo, Nathan Brown, and Campbell Gillard up against you know Tanua Brown first-year guy, been impressive, but, you know, up against Campbell Gillard, this is probably one of his biggest tests of the season. 
Uh, Lockie Burr as well, similar situation there, along with Jack Murchie. But for me, uh, it'd be really interesting to see how Ryan Madison plays. And I think that he has to be the leader of this pack uh, this week and into the next few weeks, especially, as you mentioned, with so much of that attack going down the left-hand side. All the focus is going to be around him and Mitchell Moses this week. How can they combine? You know, we've got ball going uh, right more often. We might see Fergo finally cross for his try. Um, but again, all the defensive focus is going to be there as well. So if they can come up with something creative to really work their way around the, the Warriors' defence and, and as well through the middle, um, that's where the key is going to be for Parramatta because, you know, what they're going to toss up on the left is largely um, unknown. And yeah, I think we're in for a, a quite quite an intriguing uh, match up in this one. And I think this one will really almost be, be won in, in the strategy room. Oh, definitely. I'd be surprised if our attack didn't go down the right more so than the left in Brown's absence. But again, you never know. I mean, obviously, you know, Field might try and, I guess, do a bit of work on the left with his running game and his and his quick feet. But, you know, remains to be seen. But, yeah, I'm, I would expect a pretty hard-fought game. Look, I mean, obviously, hope the Eels can win it. Obviously, they need a win. Otherwise, it's almost more than likely, you know, they'll potentially drop down a spot if the Roosters do get that win. But which we obviously we expect them to, but this is now is the time for the Eels to really get their, I guess get their season back on track, if, for lack of a better term. Obviously, you know they had some pretty, I guess mediocre wins if that's the right way to put it, just you know hard fought but not looking impressive. Then they lost against the Dragons and they beat the Storm to nil, and then this game. So yeah, it, it's 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 a game they need to win and it's not going to be easy. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, our final game on the weekend is the Cowboys and the Dragons. Now, obviously, Cowboys are out of contention. Certainly, the loss of Jason Tamalolo cannot be understated in this game, Tom. I mean, they are a completely different side when he's on the field, and that's easily, you know, a good 220 to even 300 metres potentially a game. We know what Tamalolo can do that you lose. And there's probably, I guess there's not really any guy that's going to step up and get those meters for them obviously you know they've got guys that are consistent with their meters as well but you know as much as you want to see the cowboys i guess even as outsiders sort of do well i mean obviously you know they've had some lean years of their own in the past and on the premiership and it's been i guess tough going since thurston left especially it's you'd expect the dragons winning this one despite i guess their inconsistencies as well oh you you definitely would but you know, the Cowboys have just been so unpredictable this season, just tossing up, you know, great performances one week, as we saw a couple of weeks ago when they were uh, pretty unlucky not to get the win against uh, South Sydney up there in Townsville. And then the next week just coming out and, you know, they scored a duck egg against uh, Newcastle. But I think what we're seeing is a lot of sides are really struggling to, I guess, uh, play their best in Townsville. I know we saw the Raiders only just get up 14-12 uh, back in August um, against them. And then um, a few weeks prior to that, uh, we had uh, Newcastle lose 32-20 against them. So, you know, it's, it's a bit of a danger game for the Dragons, you know, coming off that, that poor performance last week that where they you know, they should have wrapped up that game but just couldn't find the final pass on any of their attacking moves. And it just wasn't all clicking there for them um, at Cogro. And, you know, with Val Holmes back in the squad, um, you just never know with this Cowboys team. And, you know, they, they look good for parts of that game against Cronulla and then fell away late. So... I wouldn't be surprised if if there's an upset here, but you know, you would uh you would expect the Dragons to get the job done. Yeah, I'd be surprised to see anything less. But look, it'll be an interesting game to round out. <clears throat> pardon me, the 
the week of fixtures and we're certainly in for a very entertaining week of fixtures a lot as as you mentioned at the start of the show tom obviously it's still a lot of you know toing and froing and back and forth for the makeup of the top four and top eight so that, that jostling for spots so we're in for quite an interesting week of football as always there's never a dull moment in rugby league there's just news everywhere we'll just get straight into it Benji Marshall, Tom, obviously we know he's not going to be at the Tigers next year. Now it was rumoured for a long time. Obviously now to be made official. What are your thoughts on this in terms of, oh, sorry, I, I guess as, as a Tigers fan and what Benji has done for the club? We know he's played for other clubs. Obviously he's had stints at the Broncos and the Dragons. But is it strange or will it be strange to see a guy like Benji playing in a jersey that isn't Tigers colours? Oh, I definitely would be, you know, I would be shocked if he played on in the NRL for another team. And I know we've seen him come out and say that he is, you know, keen to sort of put the fields out there and, and see uh, which teams are, you know, could use his leadership and his mentorship. But to be honest, I really hope that he either goes and has a stint in England if he wants to play on, or he, you know, calls it quits at the end of the year, gets a proper send off, which he deserves and didn't get the first time he left the Tigers. Um, and instead, you know, joins the club as, you know, in that sort of leadership mentor role, you know, for me, you know, if it's, I don't know what it's about, if it's about, you know, the money, then I'm sure Benji, you know, he's such a popular guy, could get, you know, very similar, considering he's playing on, on such a, a low-value contract, he could get very similar in the media and, you know, uh, still, you know, hang around the Tigers. And, you know, Benji Marshall is, is part of the fabric of the West Tigers club. He's, you know, played there since 2003. The club's only existed for three years without him there. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's unusual to, to see... Uh, the Tigers run out without Benji there and, you know, in a similar vein to this year, the first year without Robbie Farrow. And, you know, those two guys, are they won the premiership in 2005, almost took us to another in 2010. And, you know, it would be sad to see him play on another team. And I, I think it would be unusual. Um, and it wouldn't definitely in no way would tarnish his legacy. But I, I think it would it would leave an unusual mark on, on uh, how people remember him and, yeah, if, if, for example, his send-off was to be at a club like the Bulldogs, you know, the Bulldogs could definitely use his services with Blake Green out for the first nine weeks with that ACL injury next year. But, yeah, I, I, I hope he ends with the Tigers, to be honest. Yeah, look, it's a bit of a shame how it's ended, but obviously, you know, I guess a player can't stick around forever. But this is all part of Michael Maguire's rejigging of the side. And as, as we touched on earlier with the whole, you know, players supposedly being unhappy, it's just one of those things that does have to happen. But... You know, hopefully Benji stays in the game at the very least, even if he doesn't play on. It'd be good to see him stay in the game, even with the Tigers in some capacity, much like Chris Lawrence will do. I mean, obviously, these guys are, you know, Tigers players through and through. So they are guys that you'd want around the club just for that, you know, I guess that unison and, and being able to bring bring guys together and have people that the younger guys can turn to that have been there, done that, and, you know, seen it all. Yeah, definitely. We've seen the benefits of that this year. A club like Melbourne, where you've got a young guy in Ryan Pappenhausen coming through the system, mentored there by, you know, probably a future immortal in Billy Slater. Like, you know, w- what better way to sort of coach guys through at the Tigers? You know, we've got young guys like Jock Madden, Billy Walters coming through, than to have an absolute legend of the game, Benji Marshall, there as their, their coach. And, um, you know, we've seen it at the Eels as well, you know, while he's not part of the Eels fabric, far from it. But Andrew Johns is currently working there with Mitchell Moses and, um, the impact he's had on his game has been phenomenal this year. It certainly has. So, you know, I guess good luck to Benji if he finds a, a new team. Otherwise, yeah, certainly you 
I'd, I'd imagine he'd be, he'd be walking with the Tigers with open arms for an off-field role to, to help those younger guys. Now, look, I mean, I guess maybe the big talking point of the week news-wise, you know, I guess the process has been criticised by the Sharks and by former Sharks players. You know, Paul Garner has been vocal about the length of time that it took Asada to, you know, come to all of their conclusions. But Bronson Cherry, Tom, obviously, we know how good he was and how good he has been when he's played. His A sample came back positive for anabolic steroids, and now his B sample has. He's facing four years out of the game. Obviously, he can appeal and, you know, go through all, all of the, that court process. But it's a bit of a shame, isn't it, Tom, when a guy... I guess as talented as Bronson Cherry is, and you, you know, you see him take drugs essentially to try and, you know, make himself better. It's, I guess it's disappointing for the other players that work hard and take nothing to try and get themselves into the game, and even those guys that bust that bust their asses that aren't playing, and you see this, and it would just be almost disheartening for them to think that that's the only way you can make it in the game. Yeah, it's um. You know, you want to say unfortunate, but that's the choice he's made. And, you know, as much as guys want to come out and criticise uh, Asada for the way they've handled it, you know, this situation wouldn't be hanging around their head if Bronson Terry just did the right thing in the first place. And, you know, it is frustrating for the Sharks as a club because they made all the decisions around Josh Morris and uh, with him waving off to the Roosters, you know, under the, you know, I guess the premise that uh, Jerry would be there this year and into the future as well. And um, unfortunately, uh, that's that's the way it goes for Kanoa, but you know, I guess for Bronson, uh, a great guy to look at here is Shandor Earl. Yeah, obviously, Shandor Earl got done in 2013 for, you know, um, the trafficking of performance-enhancing drugs. And uh, he found himself in a strife with a four-year ban as well. And he was 23 at the time. Sherry's only 19. You know, Earl stood there, owned up to it as his mistake. And that's something, I guess, we're yet to see really Sherry come out and give a public statement and really own up to um, what he's done. And I think that would be the great first step for him to really move forward and then in four years' time, he'll come back. He'll only be 23. Like, you know, we could still see the best of Bronson Cherry, and fingers crossed we do because he's such a great young talent. And um, it's unfortunate what's happened, but, um, yeah, that's what a decision he's got to live with now. Yeah, look, that's for sure. I mean, certainly we have seen players come back in the past from this. It's, you know, a question of has he changed? Will a team take him on? But at the same time, if he gets that second chance to prove to make a name for himself again. Hopefully he makes different decisions. And obviously at 23, he might be a bit more mature as well. So certainly it's going to be a long road back for him, but you know, you reap what you sow and he made those decisions. So he just has to live with them as sad as it may be. And I guess that leads us into, you know, the other, I guess, more surprising news and probably, I guess the last bit that we'll touch on for today, Jared Mullen, Tom, obviously there's a story in the Telegraph that I guess has him pining for, an NRL return, obviously, we know that I guess he had a few issues of his own when it came to drug bans, and then there was the, I think he, he was it was made even longer because of cocaine supply and, you know, all of this I guess stuff that didn't help his cause when he was already on the outer. He's 32, he says he wants to come back. It's been four years, that's a long time out of the game given the way it's changed, Tom. Would the Super League be a better place for Mullen to, to come back to rather than the NRL? Yeah, I think I think the Super League would be a, a much better avenue for Mullen to return through. I think that it's very tough for a, a guy at his age to take four years out of the game. Very unlike Bronson Sherry, who's you know you know prime at the start of his career. I think that it would be very difficult for for Mullen to come back and you know fit right back into that Newcastle system. Even I think that you know if that was to be where he would return, I think that you know they've they've moved far beyond you know where 
where the team was at when when he left there in, in 2017 and 2016. And I think that you know, he probably would have been more suited to the pace of the game in the Super League. And that might be a great way to reintroduce himself back to the game. And if, you, you know, if he really thrives in that Super League environment, then he can maybe come back as you know experienced guy, maybe you know, coming off, off the bench or just even just uh, hanging around clubs in terms of being there as a reserve or, or in a coaching capacity into the future as well. Yeah, look, Tom, you know, I guess we'll see sort of what, what Mullins' approach is, see if any clubs, I guess, have a nibble and sort of talk to him. But, yeah, you probably expect Super League is the way to go for Mullen if he wants to come back or, you know, even something like the Newcastle Rugby League competition or, I guess, even a, you know, sort of lower grade, you know, I guess, uh, sort of Ron Massey Cup level, just because, as we said, the game is so different now. So you certainly can't expect him to come back in and, you know, blitz blitz the entire competition and despite how good he was when he when he started, but interesting to see sort of how that develops for Mullen Tom. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think you know it there with you know, especially this year, all the changes that have come through, it'd be really interesting to see how this weekend a guy like Sonny Bill deals with that. Um after his extended absence out of the game, obviously he is around Mullen's age and has taken a little while out. He's been, you know, in and around similar comps at least, you know, within Super Rugby and uh as well in the um in the uh, the Super League over there in England, but I think that uh, yeah, the game's just uh, been played at a new pace and you know an unprecedented level uh, this season, and I think that um, it'd be very tough for a guy like Mullen to adapt straight back in. It certainly would be, and that that will wrap it up for this episode of Take the Two. Good luck to all your teams. Certainly, plenty of, plenty to play for, no matter what position you are in. So we have an interesting round of fixtures, and we'll catch you next week, Tom. Yeah, thanks, Ricky. Thanks, everyone. Have a good week.